You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. What's up, y'all? How you doing? All right. Hey, I'm going to tell you the story of Jonah, and if you've been around church any time at all, it's probably a well-known story, but I I remember the first time I heard it. I was I was 19 years old, and I remember coming into church, and and people were like, "Hey, uh, hey you know, like Jonah and the whale," and I was like, "Or Daniel and the lion's den," and I was like, "I have no idea what you're talking about at all." And so, if you're here and you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're in the right place. And so, we're going to walk through this story together and find out what God is really trying to teach us, and what God really wants to wants to tell us through the story and the person. Of Jonah. So let, let's just hop right into it. Jonah, right, this is this amazing story. It's a, a short story. It's a very compelling story. And what, what happens is it says the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and he is supposed to actually go and hang out with these guys named the Ninevites. And he, he's supposed to go to this wicked city and, and share a message with them. And he pretty much just crosses his arms and he goes, Nope. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to actually, not only not going to do it, I'm going to get in a boat and I'm going to sail in the exact opposite direction that I'm supposed to go in. Before we know it, what happens is this boat full of, you know, hairy, strong sailors, they grab Jonah and they throw him overboard. But right before they throw him overboard, this incredible things happen, this incredible, remarkable thing happens to all these sailors. And so he gets thrown overboard, and as the story goes, you know, he's swimming around, and the next thing you know, he is swallowed by a great fish or a whale or some, some sort of aquatic sea animal, right? He gets it's swallowed. But th- think about Jonah for just a second. Like, how callous was he? Like, how bad was Jonah the person? Look at, look at uh, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. Right, this is verse 3, right from the very beginning of the story. Jonah gets up and he's getting out of here. He's fleeing, running from what? From the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. So here's the deal. He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. That word presence means face. He is literally running from the face of God. He's, he's getting out of there. And I was like, man, what's a real life example where we run from people's faces? You, I, I used to be a recruiter and so, uh, you know, you'd sit at a booth and people would sort of look at you, but they wouldn't want to. How about those Sam's Club folks, all right? You know, at Sam's Club, you know, the guy that's like holding the memory foam pillow and you're like, are you here shopping? Are you about to try to sell something to me? We never make eye contact with those people, do we? Like we, we, we I'm sorry if you like do that for a living. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. But, but seriously, we, we avoid those people's faces. We're just like, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. Because here's the deal. God was asking Jonah to do something. And so he's running from the face of the Lord because he has something for him to do. 
So Jonah is, he's literally this, this fleeing missionary. He's, he's trying to get away, but like verse 4, he can't. He literally can't get away from God, verse 4. It says, but, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Listen, this ain't like some sprinkling rain, you know, in the spring where it's a nice fine mist. It is literally a brutal storm where the ship is about to, to break. He goes on to say, verse 5, this is how bad it is. It says, then the sailors or the mariners were afraid. Right? Listen, I mean, this is what they do for a living. So if they're afraid, this storm is bad. It says, and every man cried out to his God. And they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. And he had lain down and was fast asleep. Man, I just have a tough time relating with this. You know, he, he literally goes in down in the hull of the ship and he, he gets in his little hammock and he gets a snuggly blankie and, you know, he's just chilling out. And it's like, how callous do you have to be? How callous do you have to be? I remember I've told this story here before. I was working at this equipment rental company and we rented backhoes and excavators and skid steers and all this construction and we sold construction supplies and my boss, his name was Doug, he asked me if I had to um, finish this project. And I looked at him right in his eyes and I said, yep, man, I lied straight to his face. Just straight to his face. Yes, I was a follower of Jesus at the time. Yes, I make huge mistakes, uh, actually often, but this was a, a fairly big one. And so I just lied right to him. And I remember going home, I ate dinner and I tried to sleep and I could not sleep. I was tossing and turning and tossing and turning. And I remember I got up in the morning, I went straight into to the office, and I went straight to, to my boss, Doug, and I said, hey, Doug, man, I, I lied straight to your face yesterday. And he goes, Raby, you're such a Christian. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> but, but I literally, I could not sleep. I could not sleep. You know, there are those times when, when we are callous. We are callous. You know, I thought there was that, that verse, you know, or the, this saying, there's no rest for the wicked, and Jonah is just chilling out in the hole of the ship. How callous is he? Like, really? And how callous are we sometimes when we don't respond to what God is actually asking us to do? He goes on to say in verse 17, it says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And that's where the chapter breaks. It's right here before this word then. And so typically what we see is, okay, yeah, he was swallowed by a fish. But he was in there for three days. Three days. Three long days. He's in the belly of a fish. And then, just then, does Jonah actually say like, oh yeah, by the way, God, help me. So he's in the belly of a fish for three days, and I'm sure his arms are crossed as the bile or whatever is eating his skin away, and he's just got his arms crossed, and he's like, nah, I'm not talking to God. I'm not asking for help. Right? He's a prophet of the Lord, and he is supposed to like, actually be connected with God, but he's, he's running from him, and he's in his belly of the fish going, you know, I think I'm just going to hang here for three days before I actually cry out to him. You guys ever been there before? 
Man, I, this is another thing I have sometimes a, a tough time relating with because when I get in trouble, usually I'm crying out really quick. I remember there was a time I was hanging out with my friend Emery, and uh, this is an amazing picture of him and I. That's right. That is me. Yes, it is. It was a sweet. I did not put this on here either. And so if anybody ever accuses me of taking myself too serious right there, I'm not too serious. But Okay, thank you for changing that. But, but uh, so I was hanging out with my friend Emery and I, and we were fly fishing. It was down in the Branson area, and we're, we're fly fishing, and we're, we're catching trout. And it's just this amazing summer day, unlike today. And we're, we're fishing, and the, the water was like calf length. And so we're catching all kinds of fish. And then we hear this, this noise. It said, Murr. And I remember Emery and I, we, we looked at each other, and we're like, what was that? See, we're fishing below a dam, okay? And I don't know if you know what that sound means. I did not know what the sound means. And the next thing I knew, the water was up to my neck. And we were, we were about half, we were a little over halfway in the middle of the river. And so we had a decision to make. And the, the shore across was closer than the shore behind us. And so, you know, I, had my, I wasn't letting go of my fishing pole. You know, I had it. And I'm, so I'm one arm in it trying to get over to the other side. I get over to the other side. Emory gets over to the side. But I don't know if you know, like when water comes out of a dam, it moves really fast. So we got swept down to the other side of the river, like way down, like a mile away from where we had started. And... So we get to the other side, and we, we look at each other, and we went, we parked on the other side. And so we literally had to swim back across the other side. So I took my fishing pole apart, and I, I stuffed it in the back of my shorts, because I was struggling with one. I'm not a good swimmer anyways, and so I'm struggling to get over, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to swim with, with both hands. And, and so we, we both, we, we actually hiked up about a mile ahead because we knew the, the, the river was going to sweep us down. And so we hopped in and swam across. And I remember this one point, uh, uh, Emery looked back at me and I was like, well, why is he looking back at me? And well, it's because I was struggling. I thought I was going to drown. And so we got to the other side and he was like, bro, are you about to drown? And I was like, no, I was seriously close to drowning, like seriously close. But I knew in that moment when I was struggling that I went, God help me. Like I need your help. But that's not what Jonah did. He just stayed in his stubbornness and just refused what God was trying to do. See, what, what happens, sometimes the first point of us actually trying to do what God wants us to do when we're resisting him is confess, God, I need you. I, I, like, I need you. This is what he does. This verse isn't on the screen, but you can read it on your own. It's, it's really humorous how God, the language is here, at least to me. It says, then the men were exceedingly afraid, right? The sailors, they're afraid, and they say to him, Jonah, why have you done this? Why have you run from the presence of the Lord? Says, and this is him confessing. It says, for the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because... He had told them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, right? Very king's grasp of the obvious. But, but what, what is happening here is Jonah is going, I'm fleeing. I'm fleeing from him. But why was he fleeing? Why was he so reluctant to actually go? And I think it was this right here. He was afraid. Because these Ninevites, 
They were terrible human beings. Not only was he afraid, but I think that he really didn't want them to follow God. I don't think he wanted them to follow the one true God. One of the oldest uh, actually printed piece of materials that we have in, in history was this Assyrian war bulletin. And, and this war bulletin is actually about these Ninevites. And the, they're writing to it. And it's just this brutal, gruesome bulletin. Listen to it with me. It is gruesome. It says, I slew 260 fighting men. I cut off their heads and made pyramids with them. I slew one of every two. I built a wall before the great city, and I flayed the chief men of the rebels. It means he skinned them alive. And I covered the wall with their skins. Some of them were even enclosed alive in the brick walls, and some of them were crucified on stakes alongside the wall. And I caused a multitude of them to be flayed in my presence. And I covered the wall with their skins. I gathered together heads to form a crown, and we pierced bodies in the form of garland. As for the 200 men that I had taken alive, I had pierced their wrist, and my face rejoices over ruin. In the satisfying of my wrath, I have pleasure. Are you starting to understand why maybe Jonah didn't want to go hang out with those guys? Listen, they're, they're building pyramids with, with skulls. They're literally decorating their bedchambers with bodies and decapitated heads. These people are, are gross. They're gross people. This is not, you know, this is not the Veggie Tales Jonah. You know what I'm saying? This isn't like Larry the Cucumber getting swallowed up by a whale. It's not Larry the Cucumber getting like chopped up in pieces and then you know plastered on a wall. It's this brutal story. But you start to understand why he ran. You know, the modern-day example, I was, I was in Iraq, and I was hanging out with uh, this guy named Kurt, and Kurt uh, used to be a missionary in a, 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 the Arabian Peninsula, but he ended up moving, and he was in this refugee camp, and they had this makeshift hospital, and, and I remember Kurt telling me this story that he knew that he knew that he knew that this ISIS operative was there. And what they did there was wound care because they were in a war and they were just a few miles outside of Mosul, which is the headquarters of ISIS. And, and Kurt said, you know what, I, I have this decision to make. Uh, this ISIS operative comes to me and, man, I'm in this ethical dilemma. Do I let this guy die or do I take care of him? See, who, who in the world do you not want to know the message do you think that those ISIS operatives deserve heaven? That's the real modern day example of how gross, how awful, how wicked the Ninevites were, man. Jonah was afraid, and then he despised them. He didn't want them to know this God, this, this king, the one true God. Are there people that you don't want to go to? people that you don't want to actually know the message of the one true God? See, the, the whole story, the whole story of Jonah is God trying to reveal himself. That's why, that's why Jonah was going in the first place is because he's literally trying to, he's saying, hey, Jonah, go and tell those Ninevites about me. Not only, not only that, but check this out. He literally leaves, right? He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He gets on this boat, and the whole boat makes a vow and commits their lives to the one true God. 
So even in Jonah's disobedience, God is trying to reveal himself. And what happens, just what happens if God knew that Jonah was fleeing from the Ninevites and he knew that he was going to get on that boat and that God really wanted to reveal himself to those sailors as well? From the very first verse, man, from the very first verse, Jonah 1.1, God is trying to reveal himself. Check it out. I'm going I'm to get Bible nerdy on you for just a second. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. Right? Do you see anything remarkable in that? I, I do. Right? Check this out. So it says, the word of the Lord, which is God the Father. The word of the Lord is, is God the Father. And it says, came to, the, to Jonah. And Jonah's, his name means dove. And there's these New Testament verses that talk about a dove descending like the Holy Spirit. So you've got God the Father came to the Holy Spirit, the son of Amittai. The son of Amittai means truth, which is Jesus. The son of truth is Jesus. So you're saying right here from very first verse in Jonah, you've got God the Father revealing the son of truth, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit that is being sent. Isn't that awesome? Okay, maybe I just think it's awesome. You know what I'm saying? God is literally he's trying to reveal himself from the very first verse. He's revealing himself, and he desires to reveal himself because he wants to, like, know you. That's why this, this, this incredible story of Jesus, that's why it's so incredible. Does, does ISIS deserve heaven? Like, do they really deserve heaven? No. This is what makes that message of Jesus so like magnificent, so amazing. Because 2,000 years ago, this incredible God says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my son down. And I'm not only going to send him, but he's going to live this perfect life. And he's going he's gonna to die. He's going to take all the sins of all the world so all the people can actually know me and know the King of Kings. And not only am I going to, I'm going to die, but I'm actually going to resurrect from the dead, showing the difference between every other religion, every other belief system, because Jesus is the only way, the only truth. I can take you to every other grave of Buddha and Muhammad and Tao and all these other supposed gods, but you know what? The one that, that took his life up again is the one that gives us hope. That's what's so magnificent. That's why it's called grace. It's called grace because it's undeserved and you don't deserve it. And Isis doesn't deserve it. And Jonah didn't deserve it. And the Ninevites don't deserve it. But the whole time, man, the whole time, God's saying, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Like, where do you find yourself in this story? Like, where do you find yourself in, in this story? Do you, do you say, yeah, yeah, you know, I think maybe I'm Jonah. Maybe I did walk with God and I'm not really walking with him right now. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm wicked. I know I'm wicked. Or maybe you're foolish enough to think that you're not wicked and you're good. But God's trying to reveal himself to you. Isn't it funny that we teach our, our kids this story? Like, we teach our kids this story. Like, think, think about it, like, for a second. Like, hey, 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 little Johnny, you know, uh, make sure you run from God. Be bitter, maybe a little arrogant. You should whine a lot and, you know, be stubborn and callous. 
And then, man, I'm going to give you a ton of fruit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to give you a ton of fruit. You're going to have a huge church, and millions are going to get saved because of you. Isn't that shocking that we teach our kids this story? Like, we, we, we teach them this story, but I always tell our church planters, uh, you know, if Jonah was alive today, and, you know, we try to always break it down to an equation, like, if I do this, this, and this, then it'll equal this. Well, this doesn't really work that way. And so just imagine our church planters or maybe just Christians are like, man, I want to be used. I want to be fruitful. And so, you know what? I'm going to be swimming in the ocean just praying like, God, hey, swallow, swallow, make me get swallowed by a whale because maybe then I'll actually have some fruit. But here's the point, here's the point of the message right here. He uses us in spite of us. Like he uses us in spite of us. You know, if God can partner with an unwilling messenger like Jonah, he can definitely partner with you. And he has a desire to, to, to use you. And not only does he want to use you, he can use you. I mean, you think about those sailors. The, you go back and, and read the story. The sailors literally a bunch of disobedient guys, and they're worshiping the, the wrong God. They actually become obedient and start following the, the one true God. They start adopting verses like 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. This is what our prayer for our church should be right here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, but sanctify, which means to set apart, like a bird sanctuary, right? It's, it's set apart. It's, it's like a tent. And so, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts where he is the one, the true, the only, and nobody else is getting in there. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that lies within you, that the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. See, we, we often talk about like the story, like sharing the story of Jesus, and we always end up getting hung up on fear. We're afraid to do it. We're afraid to do it, but what's so beautiful about this verse is it's like, hey, I want to be ready to give a defense, and so you know what, I'm going to get in this book, and I'm going to, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to study it, and I'm going, to, I'm going to figure out how to actually share this message and, and defend the faith of who Jesus is with other people, and so this is the, the growth section. Or I'm going to grow and I'm going to try to get in community and I'm going to connect with others so maybe we can share with others. And so he says, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you of what? Of the hope. Of the hope. Right, this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 says, What know you not that the, the, uh, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Listen, the hope is in you. Because 2,000 years ago, he sent his son down, and he said, it's good that I leave. It's good that I leave so I can send a comforter to you so you'll be able to share of the defense of the hope that lies within you, of Jesus, where you'll be able to share it with others. He desires for you to be revealing God to others. And he uses this in spite of ourselves. And then are we people, are we people that say 1 Corinthians 9.16? Like whose life verse is this? 1 Corinthians 9.16. It says, for if I preach the gospel, 
The gospel is the story of Jesus, the good news of what he's done. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Like, I can't brag about it. I can't say, you know, I did this. I'm the one that was crucified for you. That's not, you can't boast about it because you didn't do it. All you're doing is sharing. And so, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. It's, he, he's saying it's necessary. Like it's necessary. Yes, he's saying, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me. He's saying, I will have grief. That's what that word woe means. He's saying, woe is me. Like, really? I, I literally will experience loss if I don't share this amazing story of who Jesus is. Man, is this you? Is this you? You know, may, maybe this is where you are. Maybe you're like those those sailors, and you're on the boat, you just committed your life to Jesus, man, things are good. You're walking with him. You're trying to understand his word. Or maybe you're like Jonah, where, you, yeah, you know, I had this experience. I started following God, but now, you know, I'm just sort of doing the church thing one hour a week, but I'm not really following him. What are you going to do about that? This thing that we call Christianity is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. Like, what's the one step you're going to do to go from being like Jonah, an unwilling messenger, to being a willing messenger? What's the one thing you're going to do? Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm lost. This could be just like those Ninevites. I'm wicked. I'm messed up. I'm callous. Here's the deal, man. If you're, listen, if you're wicked and callous in any of those circumstances, God wants to renew you. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you've done. Man, he wants to partner with you to, to give you an amazing life of meaning and purpose more than just a job and a salary every week. So maybe you're like those Ninevites and you just need to hear the message. Spoiler alert, the whole Ninevite crew comes to faith, the whole city. Maybe you're there and, and you need to say, you know what, I don't know that I know that I know that I'm a follower of Jesus. So here's, the, here's the, really the two questions. Will you receive the message like the sailor, like the sailors, or will I share it with people that don't know him? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we need you. We need you badly. God, thank you for your word. Thank you just that you've uh, given it to us where we can, we can take it and we can apply it to our lives. God, I pray that we would be changed and different. And that, God, if there's people here that aren't following you, that they would say today, man, I'm giving my whole life to him, to you. God, for those of us that are already followers, I just pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you, that we would grow where we can share of the great hope that lies within us. God, I pray that you just move among us. Amen.